0: All right, Boca Podcast listeners, thank you so much for joining us for yet another episode. I'm here with a very, very new friend of mine, Nicole Bissey. Nicole, thank you so much for making time for the Boca Podcast.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: And uh, you're, you're very kind. We haven't had the opportunity to meet uh, outside of this virtual conversation. And uh, you're very kind to, to come join the podcast and share a little bit about what you've learned about photography and business. And more specifically, we're going to get into a discussion about charging what we're worth. It's a bit of a loaded topic in our industry, and I think in some ways maybe overcomplicated. So we're going we're gonna to help simplify that a little bit in just a little bit. But to start off with, we normally talk about something called a technique for time or a tool for time. Very simply, this is something that you might do in your day-to-day workflow or week-to-week workflow that enables you to have a little bit more free time uh, so you don't always have to work. What would that be?
1: So I'm either the worst person or the best person to ask this question.
0: <laughs> I love the honesty.
1: <laughs> yeah. The first couple of years of my business was very erratic as far as my schedule. I, I would stay up until 2 a.m. I would have no idea what time I needed to go to bed get up. I, I had no routine whatsoever. And I really struggled with trying to have a boundary between work and life and mm. family and all of that. And a big part of it is when you you start it's it's kind of you almost feel pressured to work all the time because when you go full-time it you might not necessarily make the amount of money that you want and so you're always like oh i need to take this job i need to do and you have to kind of learn okay i i need to charge more so that i'm not working so much and, and kind of figure out a balance but actually um I finally came up with a plan. I, I realized I'm not a morning person first started out with, well, let's get up early in the morning and kind of give myself some time in that way. That is not me. That, <laughs> it will never be me. I've accepted that, Okay. but really I just need a process, a routine routine is very important. Whether you are naturally a routine person or not routine is pivotal, especially when you own your own business, you have to set boundaries. So boundaries have been my key to my time management is I kind of go off of my husband's schedule. He gets off work at 5 p.m. That's when I'm done working. Unless I have a meeting or something that is previously booked, uh, I have to be finished working by 5 p.m. And that is when no more emails, no more editing, no more, oh, I just want to finish this one thing. No, you're done at 5. And that has been super helpful.
0: And have you told him that that's what you plan on doing? So there's this kind of mutual accountability almost?
1: Yeah, we actually had to have a conversation. He was coming home early. I think he came home at like 3 p.m. a couple times one week. And I finally said, look, this is really interrupting my routine. (laughs) I can't get anything done because I'm trying to stick with. So he's been a little better about, okay, now I have to. His job is he has a boss, but he also kind of works off of his own schedule. So we had to have that conversation of, look, I'm going off of your schedule. You have to stay away, <laughs> sit in the, in the driveway or something, but come home at five.
0: <laughs> no, but you know, I, I like that you bring this point up. There's something that we've talked about on the podcast before, which is that art and structure Artistry and structure are not mutually exclusive. So we can be the so-called artist types that have a bit of a flexible schedule if we want to sleep in a little bit later in the morning um, and and, push our hours into the evening or whatever our preference might be. We do have the ability or the opportunity to create that type of a flexible schedule. And so there isn't, it doesn't have to be black and white one way or the other, but simultaneously having a bit of structure and in your case, a a cutoff time, the boundary that you've created, which is my husband comes home and now I set work aside and I'm spending time with him or I'm at least stopping work for the evening. I think, I think having even a simple cutoff or just a little bit of structure like that is a great idea um, for all of us. It, It does, you know, we've we talked about this on the podcast before as well, but those parameters encourage us, they kind of push us a little bit. So maybe it helps us get work done a little bit more quickly so that we can focus then on the relationships with our significant others in the evening. My, I have two kids and I've realized more than ever as of late the significance of making sure that I'm giving them focused time. And so what that means for me is that as much as I want to kind of take my time through the day and hit this thing and that thing, and I mean, I have so much to do. Uh, with my various businesses that I'm involved in. But at the end of the day, my kids are coming home and I need to make sure that I'm setting aside work at that point to to really focus on them as much as possible. So that acts as natural structure. I, I love that you started us with that. And um, thanks for sharing and, and kind of being transparent too. I, I know it's easy, yeah. even for me as a as a kind of a simplicity obsessed individual and a, a workflow obsessed individual, um, I I still don't always have total control over the situation either. So in full transparency, I think we're all kind of working at this together. And and I appreciate you sharing. What's one way that you've learned maybe to be a bit more centered and more focused, though, amidst all the craziness, which can be running a photography business or just running a business at all?
1: Well, I don't mean this to be a plug, but it's going to sound like one. (laughs) (laughs) I actually so you know, when you're on Facebook and you're constantly I think everyone gets these the ads for the app called Calm. Okay, yeah. It's CALM. It's this app that I just kept seeing all of these ads constantly and I kept ignoring them because I have this thing where I just don't want to click on an ad because I know that's exactly what they want. <laughs> I just can't click on it right.
0: Well. <laughs> like you're trying to prove a point or something.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. So I finally just said, "You know what? I've been really wanting to get more into meditation. Fine, I will just click the app." And I clicked it and it's been great for me. I really love I'm kind of one of those people that, sure, I love yoga. Sure, I love to meditate. Sure, I love to be centered and mindful. But I don't ever remember to do any of those things. Hmm. So using this app has been great because it forces me to say, okay, sit down, take a minute, be mindful, stop getting so caught up in everything that you have to do, and just breathe. So breathing is very important. I do a (laughs) lot of breathing exercises. That's Yoga can be anything, really. It doesn't have to be this crazy pose that you put on Instagram. It can literally just be sitting in your room and doing one and two breaths. So that's been really important to me is just remembering to sit and breathe.
0: And it's amazing to me. I've, I've, I think I've told this story probably at least once in the podcast before, but uh, the first time that I ever really experimented with meditation was a result of a conversation that I'd had with um, a good friend of mine, Nicole Goddard, who's a photographer has been on the podcast as well. And I, I sat down one evening thinking I was going to meditate to help me relax and sleep better. It was actually, it ended up being kind of a mistake to do that before I went to bed because what I did was, you know, as, as you hear a lot of times, I focused on my breath and I literally got a physical high because yeah. I was breathing so deeply. It's amazing how, I mean, wow. I I, laugh earlier, uh, I laughed earlier when you said that it's important to breathe, but the reality is I think probably a lot of us are breathing in a very shallow manner much of the time. And so we're not actually yes. getting the oxygen that we could. And that actually has physiological results. And, and so to consider actually taking the time to breathe deeply, it's amazing how that, I mean, ultimately the benefits are multifold, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. I I took a yoga class by Kayla McDonald. She is from California. Well, she's originally from here. She lives in California now, and she was in town. And that was the first thing she said when she started her her yoga class: is you know it you just if you just take the time and breathe deeply for mm. two minutes. Apparently, it it has the potential. It's like you did it for two hours or something. As far as mentally and emotionally. It it can affect you so, so much just from that couple, two minutes. So yeah, it's definitely been life-changing to incorporate meditation and mindfulness. And, you know, that's really popular in our culture right now, but it really is beneficial. And I've definitely found that it's something I need.
0: hundred percent. Well, for those of you who aren't familiar with the Calm app, it it is uh, quite lovely. And I've just, I mean, even just for having that kind of white noise in the background, if you want to meditate without vocal guidance. Um, it can be quite lovely, but then they've, they've also built in that, that guided meditation component as well. Correct.
1: Yeah. Um, they have, um, so I also use it at night. I'll turn on like the rain noise or Uh the, the white noise or something. And it helps me sleep so much. Just that extra background noise, but then they also have stories and they have meditation guides and just all kinds of stuff.
0: That's really cool. Well, well, we'll link to that in the show notes. And for those of you listening in, if, if you've been curious about meditation but didn't quite know how to get started, might be a good good avenue for that. So let me transition to the next question, a, a one that we've been asking for a while here on the podcast, which is about a favorite book or one of the most impactful books that you've read.
1: Yeah. When I first started my business, I was actually very shy. I didn't like to talk to anyone. I um, I just got instant anxiety anytime I had to meet a stranger. Hmm. I started reading How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Yeah. It actually helped me a lot because it it really dives into um, first conversations with people, how you can make people feel that you really care about what they're saying. Because a lot of my problem was I really did care about what people were saying, but I was so nervous that I couldn't even focus on what they were saying. So then it seemed like I didn't care. And it made me look like, oh, this person isn't interested I definitely learned a lot from reading that book and getting to know how to make people feel comfortable.
0: Now, this is really interesting. I, I love psychology. And so I'm, I'm going to dig a little bit here. Um, I was just having a conversation with another photographer, commercial photographer, Matt Odom earlier today, by the time this episode comes out, Matt's episode probably will be out as well. And we talked about how, you know, in our industry, I mean, you hear a lot about photographers saying that they're introverts or have introverted tendencies, and he was talking about the significance of of learning how to engage with people better some some may be more or less comfortable with the idea of meeting somebody new for the first time and and having a conversation with them or maybe being in in front of groups of people uh, they're they're nervous they're concerned they don't feel comfortable and learning how to be less uncomfortable, I guess, to put it very, very, very simply. But Nicole, you talked about kind of the root or at least one of the roots of your nervousness when you were meeting somebody. Would you say that that had to do a lot with just making sure you talked about caring how the other person felt was, were you concerned about making sure they felt really good about the interaction or were, were there other things that were at the root of that nervousness?
1: I think I, when I first started shooting, I had a lot of self-confidence issues and I was afraid, oh, they probably think I'm weird or I I look strange right now or I'm not talking right or, you know, who knows a a plethora of different options of why I could be nervous. But generally, I think that it all led back to a lack of self-confidence and I had to learn, you know, you kind of have to fake it until you make it so you can apply that to um your own self-confidence. Okay, maybe you're not self-confident, but I kept learning if I act like I'm not self-confident, then I end up having the negative interactions that I'm afraid of. So I need to just, you know, put my positivity suit on and decide, <laughs> "No, I am confident, I am excited, and I just have to let it go." And and then I started having positive reactions with people. So over time realizing that I was the problem is what kind of helped me get over that.
0: I, well, first of all, again, props to for, you for just being transparent with us, but also for your self-awareness and, you know, also acknowledging the the possibility, which is that though you or for that matter, any one of us um, and me included raising my hand, literally, <laughs> I that there are tendencies that we may have that may feel innate, right? Like you hear people yes. say, this is quote, who I am. And the reality is at the end of the day, most of our behaviors, if, if not all of them, in some form or fashion can be um, molded and and kind of shifted in a different direction if we truly want to. And so, I, it, it, but it starts ultimately with a certain level of self-awareness. Okay, I, I'm afraid of fill in the blank and this fear, the root of this fear is this thing or maybe this list of things. And doing what we can then to address those fears so that we're able to move forward in that particular situation is, is really great. Uh, but there's also something to be said for, as you were just saying, faking it to you making it or just do, doing it. And the reality is what we are afraid of likely isn't as big a deal as we make it out to be in our minds. And if we just push through, in that moment, on the other side of that could actually be a really positive experience. And I love that you that you found that out, that you realized that. So again, thank you for sharing that. And Of course, that book is is a very well-known one. We've talked about it on the podcast, and we'll link to it in the show notes for those of you who haven't read it. It is a classic. It, it was written probably a good hundred years ago or close to that. Uh, but the principles yeah. innate uh, to that book are Extremely applicable still today, and uh, I definitely recommend it. so another question for you here and and this is uh, when I, when i 'm sending uh, these outlines and kind of breaking the fourth wall here for our listeners, I do send out outlines to our guests ahead of time, so it gives them a chance to be able to look through the questions and know the direction of the conversation kind of helps the conversation float a little bit more but i 've started putting in front of this question a fifteen second answer. Uh, because I love to hear how a photographer will sum up an idea very concisely and briefly. So I'm curious, Nicole, from your experience as a business owner so far, what would that 15-second piece of advice be that you would give to, whether it's a new photographer or an experienced photographer, based on all that you've learned in business?
1: I would say no opportunity is too good for you.
0: Ooh, I like that a lot. Wait, what do you mean by that?
1: So... I, I talk to a lot of new photographers and I'll hear them a lot. They'll say, Oh, well, I got it. I asked to do this thing for free and I didn't do it because it was for free. Well, while I'm not a huge advocate of doing everything for free, sometimes you have to realize that the, what you're getting from that opportunity might be worth volunteering your time. Yeah. So you just have to outweigh, it. just figure it out. Is it going to be worth it? What could I learn from this? And no, again, no opportunity is too good for you.
0: I like it. And, and you summed it up brilliantly and I will just leave it at that. <laughs> um, <laughs> what is, what is in your gear bag these days? Like what's, what's a go-to piece of camera gear? This is kind of a, maybe a bit of a nerdy question. Um, I've, I've said on the podcast before that, that, uh, I, a big reason why I even got excited about photography in the first place almost, well, it's been almost 20 years ago now, um, was just for the gear. Uh, ultimately, we all realize it's it's a tool, I think, at this point. But um, is there a, a piece of gear that you tend to reach toward the most when you're shooting?
1: Yes. So I shoot on two Nikon D850s, okay. which a quick side note to this. Anyone buying anything off Amazon, be careful. I did accidentally get a gray market d 850 Okay. It was sold to me as if it was an icon. So you have to be very careful. Just just want to put that out there for everybody because I did make that mistake.
0: Now just for um, clarification though, too, the gray the gray market products, because I, I think I years ago bought at least one or two gray market products. Those are mm-hmm. generally made by the company but then sold or made specifically for particular markets. Is that right? Or can you can you explain? Yes. It? Okay.
1: A lot of photographers will purchase gray market um, cameras and equipment because it's cheaper. My mistake was I bought a camera with the understanding that it was a USA Nikon D850 and paid the price for a Nikon from the USA. So it, I'm not knocking gray market for anybody who might want to go that route, but for me, I, I bought it without knowing it, so it was a little frustrating.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. Well, and, and the detriment, the, the primary detriment there is that you don't you don't have the benefit of the warranty that would normally come with yes. U.S. product, correct?
1: Exactly. Yeah. So if you try to send a gray market camera into Nikon, they will send it back to you and say, sorry, we can't work on this.
0: Yeah, that's good to know, especially for new photographers searching for gear, um, because that that price point is definitely appealing. And I, I remember that. But I'll also throw out it just keep in mind as we're talking about this too. You know, you can the warranty uh, probably won't be applicable by the time that you buy the equipment. But you can always go to used gear too if you're looking for something for a better deal. For those of you listening in, you might check out K E H, um, just the letters K E H dot I had really, really great success buying used gear from them. Um, I just saw them at uh, the WPPI trade show. So I I know they're still in existence. They're actually based out of Atlanta, and the rating system is very, very strict. In fact, I usually got gear that was, well, certainly as good as what they they said it was going to be, if not better. And um, so I just want to throw that out as a resource for those of you listening in. Of course, we'll link to that in the show notes as well. All right. So another 15-second answer uh, or a question for a 15-second answer, Nicole, what is your photography business's yeah. brand position? And, and again, for those of you listening in, if the idea, the concept of a brand position isn't, it isn't one you're familiar with, I'll just give you a simple definition. And that is, what does your business do that no other business in your market offers? How, Nicole, how would you answer that?
1: So our brand position uh, as wedding photographers is, it's very simple. We want the real shit. So what we mean by that is we're not going to come in and just do a bunch of stylized, perfect shots. We will get your details and stuff like that. But we want the moments like when your mom sees you for the first time, or if your grandpa is crying as you walk down the aisle, or you know when your groom sees you, or when whoever that's important to you shows an emotion during your wedding. That's That's what we care about. And really showcasing who you are as a client, your personality and We just want all of the photos to be a reflection of who we're photographing, not just a cookie cutter image that we can slap up on Instagram.
0: Got it. Okay. So just to play it a little devil's advocate too, because I'm kind of curious how, first of all, how you would communicate this effectively to a potential client, but you do hear a lot of photographers talking about um, capturing, quote, capturing real moments uh, or authentic moments. Authentic, of course, being one of those words that you hear thrown around all the time these days. How do you distinguish yourselves from other photographers who are talking um, or, or at least using similar words?
1: So a lot of the fo- photographers and my friends included that really go on the authentic side of things, they take the authenticity to the level of, I'm just going to show up and I'm going to catch that day. And and they don't necessarily dive into who the client is, which that is some styles and that's fine. But what we like to do is really get to know that client. So we have two meetings, we take them, we really, really strive to get an engagement session with every single client so that we really know like who they are. I want not even just those authentic moments, but I want to know if they like the way they laugh or if what their favorite thing is about who they're marrying or just the things that you can't necessarily pick up just by meeting someone and photographing them, but developing that relationship with them so that you can really figure out who they are as a person.
0: So th- does that, uh, does that start usually with a meeting in the office? Or are you doing that over the phone or over Zoom or like what, what does that meeting look like that enables you to get to know them on that level?
1: We do have a lot of destination clients. So sometimes we have to do FaceTime meetings and things like that, but we generally like to meet in person and during those first meetings we will ask things like what do you guys like to do together what is your favorite activity how did you meet how did you what's your favorite restaurant to go to what's your favorite beer how do you how'd you grow up do you have siblings we ask things that maybe aren't necessarily important for the day Mm. just shooting it but just to really figure out their their lifestyle
0: Okay. Okay. That makes sense. And I am curious. I mean, we're talking about brand. The name of your wedding photography business is Black Coffee Photo Company. Where Where did the name come from?
1: So uh, my business partner and I actually met at a coffee shop, uh, Thou Mayest Coffee Roasters. So we, when we decided to merge, I remember we were sitting there and everything that we looked up was taken, every single name. And I just laughingly joked and I said, well, we could call at Black Coffee Photo Company, because we met <laughs> a coffee shop and we yeah. both drink our coffee black. We laughed about it and then we were like, Wait, actually, maybe we should do that. So we did and people seem to love it. It's it's memorable, I think, and it really says a lot about who we are because we do drink coffee all the time. We did meet at a coffee shop. We coffee is involved in every part of our business, whether we're meeting someone for coffee. Yep. Or we're drinking coffee to get through the edits or whatever it is.
0: Well, it, so I have to say, first of all, coffee. I mean, some of the uh, the listeners, especially if you've been guests, uh, may know that not only am I a huge fan of coffee, I, I usually like to send coffee to our podcast guests. So I'm, I'm going to make sure, Nicole, now that I know that you're <laughs> such a huge fan of coffee, that isn't just the name and your brand, um, that, that, that we send you some of that. We've got this incredible roaster here in Chattanooga called Velo. And I, it was my first experience... With uh, what I'll call good coffee, you know, I'm used to kind of burnt bean juice, if you will, from a lot of the <laughs> more mainstream coffee shops, and um, yeah. this was my first exposure to to good coffee that actually had flavor. You you're reminded of the fact that this that this coffee bean is actually a fruit, and um, and you can actually taste the at least the remnants of that after it's been roasted, and it's it's pretty fascinating. So I'll, I'll definitely make sure to send you some of that so you can you can get. Uh, or ha- have that experience. But you mentioned your business partner. Your business partner's name is Adri. Is that right?
1: Yeah, Adri Geyer. We met, I guess it would be three years ago. She was actually at the coffee shop and she introduced herself to me. And she said, Oh, I'd love to work with you sometime. And so I ended up having her second shoot with me and it was a dream.
0: And when you say it's a dream, like, did you guys just have great chemistry, work together really well?
1: Yes, we work together so well. And, you know, it's really hard to find a second shooter that just naturally knows what you want from them. Because mm-hmm. a lot of photographers are different. You never know what yeah. what someone really wants from you as an assistant. And she really picked up on what I needed within the first hour of shooting. So by the end of it, I didn't want to shoot with anyone else ever again.
0: That's awesome. Wow. That's quite a compliment <laughs> to her too. Um, but She's great. We we were talking about um, what we might discuss during our, our conversation today. And you mentioned. When you merged, when when you created this business together, that you doubled your prices, and so I, I want to dig into this process because you know this this concept of of charging enough, or maybe more specifically, charging what we're worth. Many times, as I alluded to earlier, can kind of get overcomplicated in our industry, and I want to break down what that process can look like, and like and what our listeners might consider um, as they look at raising their prices, but. Talk to us first about what even was the impetus for that change to begin with.
1: Adrienne and I are both lead photographers. So we both had our own wedding businesses separately of each other before we merged. So when we decided to merge, we knew, okay, we're going to have to raise prices because we both have been charging a certain amount and mm. we need to continue to make that amount when we merge. So we had to have a conversation that was very scary because, okay, well, we're, we're asking for essentially... Double of what we've been charging, and this is terrifying. But this is what we have to do, so we're doing it.
0: And you mentioned it was scary. So, and maybe this is um, uh, kind of obvious, but I am curious what what were the biggest fears associated with making that change?
1: It kind of goes along with with lack of self confidence when you're when you're used to charging a certain amount and people are totally fine with paying it, and then you want to charge double of that. It's very you always are nervous. Oh, maybe no one will want to pay that. No one will think that we're worth it. You have that moment of doubt where you think that you're not worth what you're going to charge. But generally what you need to charge is going to be a scary amount that you are afraid to ask
0: for. Well, and a lot of times I would say photographers, including myself for that matter, as a photographer, don't take the time to actually break down what they need And that is an important component of our conversation we're going to get to here in just a second. But I am curious to ask you before we make it really practical for our listeners, what has that looked like? What does the change look like for the company or for you and Adri both as photographers? How's the price change actually worked out? Um, How did new clients or the market that you were targeting with this company, how did they respond?
1: They actually responded great. We changed our structure a little bit where we are very full service photographers. So like I was talking about where we meet several times, we do an engagement session. Um, Our worth is very, or our price is very reflective of how involved we are as photographers. A lot of the time, um, if a wedding doesn't have a wedding planner, that usually falls on the photographer and you end up kind of being a a planner and a photographer. Mm, Yeah, We just kind of included that in our pricing to where we're not a full on planner by any means. And most of our, Weddings do have planners, but we help them build the timeline. We help them figure out what that looks like. Um, and we're not just, oh, send, have your planner send us the timeline. We we try to make that a smooth transition for us, the planner and the, the client.
0: You know, that this is an interesting point of conversation, the, the, the significance of making sure that you're actually adding enough value to reflect the price point being charged. And I know it's also a subjective conversation because – um different photographers would probably argue what value even is uh, in a different way but at the least I, mean, I i like the way that you're describing how the work that you put in or the price point that you're charging is reflective of the amount of work that you're putting in you're not just showing up taking pictures and leaving there's a lot more to the picture and I think that's an important point to consider. I mean, it's something even at Photographer's Edit, for example, that that I've considered about how we are adding value to our clients for their experience. I want to make sure, and, and in fact, for our, our Boca podcast listeners, I want to make sure that we're consistently adding as much valuable value as possible so that those listening in uh, or those using the Photographer's Edit service, for that matter, are walking away feeling like they've been taken care of, and, and ideally in a way that they're not used to being taken care of, or they've gotten value in a way that they're not used to getting value um, anywhere else or most anywhere else. So I, I think that's an important point of conversation. I'm glad that you bring that up, but I want to get to what you feel like are the most important components of making effectively uh, and intelligently and strategically making a significant price change, because I know photographers listening in probably have a similar apprehension that you and Adri did um how should they go about doing this
1: well i do have to say that part of what helped us figure out our price point was i do have a mentor and my mentor said look you have to figure out what you have to make so i definitely recommend finding someone who can look at your work look at what you do and objectively help you decide what you need to charge but that being said only you can truly know what you need. So I, I see a lot of threads where someone will say, I, I, people are upset at me for not charging enough, but I don't know what to charge. What should I charge? And no one can really answer that for you because it doesn't, maybe you live in Los Angeles, maybe you live in Chattanooga, maybe you live in Kansas city. Yeah, That's going to play a big factor in what you, what you need to charge. So you do need to look at the market and figure out um, where the market is and what people are charging just to get an idea of what makes sense for and who's going to book you but in the end you really have to sit down with your finances and say okay this is how much I have to make and how often I need to be booked and just line it all up is okay this is really what I have to do and it, it is scary it's definitely scary i promise you the number that you come up with you'll say there's no way and then you'll do it and you'll have a consultation and they will have no problem with it and then each time you have a consultation like that, you'll feel a little more confident.
0: But, but you start with how much you need. And, and I love, I mean, it's it's such a simple notion, but it's highly practical. And this is where I say that I think the, the industry is in some ways kind of overcomplicated the process. Um, we, we start with this, this notion of how much we're worth. And, and and granted, and and hopefully, what we're charging is ultimately a reflection, in some form or fashion, of what we're worth, both as not only photographers but ultimately business people. Because, as I said earlier, there's so much more that goes on be, besides just taking, you know, pushing the the shutter button on your camera um, to to running an effective business or a scalable business or a successful business in the end. But starting with very very simply, how much we need, and it. it it I, cracks me up, honestly. Like the, We learn you know, con- complicated math principles or concepts, algebra, geometry, um, calculus, et cetera, in school. And then most of us, in the end, all we need is just a little bit of math and subtraction, some multiplication, some division. And, and that's what it's <laughs> going to require to establish what it is that we need. Like you were saying, Nicole, figure out, first of all, how much you need to pay the bills. Um, I would add to that then how much you need in order to to take a couple of vacations a year, take some time off, get away, do something besides work, and then also money to, to set aside for, for saving for the long run. Figure out how much that total amount is. And then do the math, figure out how many sessions you have to shoot in order to, to bring in that amount or how many weddings you need to shoot to bring in that amount. And oh, by the way, you also need to figure in the amount that's going to be taken out for taxes. But it's it's relatively simple math in the end. It's just a matter of sitting down and doing it. And now you have this very tangible, very practical, pragmatic approach to pricing, which really is irregardless of how you feel about yourself as a photographer, your talent, or whether or not you're worth this or that, you have certain needs. You have to meet those needs. And that's actually where we have to start. So this is very, very practical. I love that. That's the first component. What's the next one?
1: So you also have to figure out who your client is. So not everyone has the same client. Adrienne and I have the kind of clients that want us to be very involved. Not every client wants that. And not every photographer wants to be very involved. So if you are the kind of photographer that's just going to show up that day and shoot and edit the photos and give them the photos and hello, goodbye, your price point is going to be way different than mm. Adrian i's. So definitely figure out who is going to book me. What does my work look like? And what does my workflow look like? And also your sanity is very important. You can't shoot a wedding every single weekend unless you have a huge team helping you do it, or you have the resources to get that editing done. Because let me tell you, you do not want to shoot a wedding every weekend and then edit all of those by yourself.
0: (laughs) It's very true. (laughs) And and not just because I own an editing company, but because I I shot as many as 30 or 40 (laughs) weddings a year. And I know how nightmarish that can be. So yeah, it's very, very true. you,
1: You don't want to be that photographer that takes almost a year to give photos back. I mean by the time they get their photos they're over the wedding. You know, you don't want to take so long that that your client feels like they're not even excited anymore. So it's it all goes full circle. You have to think about how your prices are affecting your workflow because if you're not charging enough, even if you're paying your bills, if you're stressed out and you don't want to do it and you're you're getting burned out, that's going to reflect in your photos and this is their wedding day. I think a lot of photographers get so caught up in what they're doing what they're shooting and oh I have this shoot and this shoot and this wedding okay but you need to look at those clients and just remember this is their wedding day this is a day that's really important to them and they're spending a lot of money and we have to take that seriously and make sure that we aren't undercharging or overworking ourselves and therefore giving them a lesser than product
0: but you also make a really interesting point, and you alluded to this earlier as well, which is market behavior. And and it, when we say market behavior, of course, an important component of market behavior is understanding how the market breaks down. Um, I've, I've talked about this before, but I, I just recently saw the wedding report, and, and it's literally the weddingreport.com. For those of you listening in who are wedding photographers and you want to be aware of what the wedding – industry looks like in the US. This is an incredible resource. The most recent, the 2018 version just came out. We'll link to it in the show notes uh, at bokehpodcast.com. But the wedding report, what they, what they show is that roughly 80% of, uh, and actually I think exactly 80% of weddings photographed in 2018 were photographed for $2,000 and less the reality is as much importance as we as photographers place on the, the craft of photography, the art of photography, um, of course, the significance of memories for the, the long-term um, innate to images. Uh, there are certain people who only make a certain amount and can't afford a $5,000 photographer or a $10,000 photographer, maybe in some cases a $3,000 photographer. And so being aware of, of the market behavior and ultimately, what segments of the market still need to be served or not served is something really, really, it's an important component to this conversation. We start with, how much do I need in order to pay my bills and, and set aside the money that I need to? But understanding market behavior is an important component to then this, this thing that you're talking about, Nicole, which is understanding who our target client is and charging yeah. accordingly. So while a lot of times in the photo industry, especially if you go to conferences and workshops, you're hearing about about or from photographers who are charging three, four, five, six, eight, ten thousand dollars for a wedding. The reality is there is actually a massive segment of the market that needs that lesser price point. But to Nicole's point, you're going to work accordingly. Your workflow should be a reflection of that. And um, so you're you're charging based on your target client. You're very clear about the business model, based on your needs, the market behavior, you've established a business model based on that business model, you know, your target client and you're charging accordingly. And there is no reason, and I can't emphasize this enough because I've heard so much conversation about it over the years. There is no reason to be ashamed of serving that 80% of the market that actually in some cases literally needs a photographer who's only charging a thousand dollars or $1,500 to Nicole's point you have to figure out how to scale that effectively with a team. If, you're gonna, if you want to make hundred grand a year and you're only charging $1,000 a wedding, you got to figure out the math there, and that may require a team. But it's very important to understand your target client. That is a reflection of the model that you've created, which should be a reflection of the market behavior and then establishing, uh, of course, initially how much you actually need as a business owner. So these are really, really powerful principles. Nicole, you and I were chatting a little bit before we got started, and I think you actually have one more point that you want to make. Can you take us to that?
1: figure out the level of service you want to provide. So if you, again, I was going back to before, if you just want to show up, shoot and leave, that's, that's a whole different animal than if you want to meet with them, talk to them, get to know them, take them out for dinner, whatever. We actually do after the wedding, we have them come back to our studio and do a viewing party and they look at their photos with us right there. Um, and we get them wine and it's a very, we want, you know, those photos are very exciting to them. They want to kind of relive their wedding. So that's how in-depth we're getting with it. Not everyone wants to do that. So just sit down and figure out what do I want to give my clients? What kind of experience do I want? Because we, at our price point, we've made it what we have because we don't want to shoot 30 weddings a year because we don't have time to pay attention to our clients at the level that we want if we're shooting 30 weddings a year. That's something very important to figure out.
0: It is. It is. And, and again, it goes back to that simple math too. Um, and, and I love how that takes, in some ways, takes the confusion out of the conversation. How many weddings do you need to shoot a year? How many portrait sessions do you need to shoot a year in order to make the money that that we talked about earlier that that meet your needs? and And then look at the market, develop a business model that serves that market, but then also simultaneously meets your needs. And Again, that target client that you're serving based on the business model that you've created is going to demand a particular level of service and be really intelligent about how you're spending your time. Because, by the way, time is money too. And, and you know, Nicole, you're, you've yes. highlighted this concept and uh, the way that you break this down. Time is money, and, and photographers can, and, and again, I'll, I'll be the first to raise my hand here. Um, photographers can forget the fact that that time that they're spending in some cases doing these random and kind of haphazard reactive, tasks in their business, that is worth a particular amount of money. And that needs to be figured into the equation when you're looking at how much you're going to charge your clients. But uh, in this effort to potentially raise prices or to change your price point or your pricing structure, uh, these these principles that we've talked about, again, number one, understanding how much you need to make. Number two, looking at the market, seeing how the market is behaving and and what needs are out there. Be Be aware where the market's at and where needs need to be met. Um, there's so many photographers again, cl- kind of clamoring for this mid to high end photography and there might be opportunities elsewhere, but at the least be aware of how the market's behaving, understand who your target client is so, so important. And that's not going to be the same for everybody. It's going to be based on the business model you've established and then associated with that target client, the level of service that you're providing to that target client. So, so important. And this, this really makes the conversation practical, Nicole, and I appreciate you breaking it down the way that you did. Um if our listeners want to follow what, what you're doing, your brand and in your business, whereabouts can they find you online and on social media?
1: Yeah, so our Instagram is BLK Coffee Photo. So it's Black Coffee Photo, but we just thought the A and the C were a little too much. So we have BLK Coffee Photo um on Instagram. And then our website is also blkcoffeephoto.com.
0: Perfect. And and we'll link to these in the show notes. Um, good call by the way on doing whatever you can to shorten the the social media handles and, and URLs. Yeah. Uh, that's that's smart, but we'll make sure to link to these black coffee, coffee photo dot com and uh, Instagram black coffee, BLK, coffee photo on Instagram. We'll make sure to link to these in the show notes at Boca B O K E H podcast dot com. Uh, if if you're a new listener, you may not have heard me say this before, but make sure to take advantage of the resources there at podcast dot com. The show notes that Haley puts together uh, are a great resource um, that not only help kind of sum up the conversations that we're having, but also link you to the resources that we talk about the books the websites etc so take advantage of that but nicole thank you so much for making time for the boca podcast today for sharing your experience and your insight on this topic of pricing with the boca podcast listeners
1: absolutely thank you for having me
0: thanks so much for listening to the boca podcast today will you let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in itunes or maybe in the apple podcast app and I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My direct email is Nathan at dot com. The Boca podcast is brought to you by photographers, edit custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit dot com.